comes our glorious King, all His ransomed home to bring. Then anew His song will sing, hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a Savior. Consider these assuring words of the gospel, the gospel that we've just sung about. This is coming from Titus chapter three and it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, uh, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. People of God, believe the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. Amen. Let's sing that chorus again. Oh, hallelujah. Sing praise to the one whose blood has pardoned me. Oh, what a Savior, Redeemer and King. Your love has rescued me. Sing it again. Oh, hallelujah. Sing praise to the one whose blood has pardoned me. Oh, what a Savior, Redeemer. Your love has rescued me. Oh, yes, your love has rescued me. You rescued me. Then you may be seated. Good morning, Missio Church. Happy Resurrection Sunday to all of you. My name is Bernie. Uh, I'm one of the elders on staff here at Missio, and um, it's a privilege now to be able to open God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, primarily verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20 this morning. 
Uh, as you're turning there, I simply want to let you know that um, next week and all subsequent uh, weeks into the future, um, we are uh, changing the time that we are gathering here to worship. Um, we will not be gathering here at 9 a.m., but instead at 10 a.m. All three of uh, our, our permanent locations, Casanova, the Valley, and here in downtown, will be meeting at 10 a.m. Uh, beginning next week. So uh, you're welcome to arrive at 9. I'm sure there's some things that could uh, be done here. We'd put you to work, but... Uh, we'll be gathering for worship at, uh, at 10 a.m. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 12. This is God's word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Would you uh, just bow your heads again and pray with me? Father, we come to you in the name of your exalted Son, Jesus, and we ask that now, by your Spirit, you would help us, aid us, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear your word to us today. May the same power that raised Christ from the dead work in our hearts in these next moments. I pray that you would raise some from death to life even now as you open their eyes to the glory of Christ. I pray that you would uh, cause all of us to have a, a more profound uh, gratefulness, appreciation, awe for who you are and what you have done in Christ Jesus. So now, Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you recall any of the things that um, you misunderstood, were confused by, or, or perhaps just outright falsely believed when you were little, little kids. You know, the, the kind of thing like, if I pull my covers over my head, the monster can't get me type of thing, 
right? Or chocolate milk comes from brown cows. Uh, my kids, my older kids now, uh, 16, 15, and 13, they, they um, every once in a while give me little things that they believe. And one of my older daughters just recently told me that when she was very little, when we were riding in the car, the radio was on, and she would hear a band playing or she would hear the DJ talking, she actually thought uh, somehow uh, those people were in our glove compartment, which is a very disturbing thought. But um, one thing that particularly confounded me when I was a, a child, uh, this seems odd, but it was the garnish on the dinner plate, right? Now, when I was a kid, our family almost never, and I mean almost never, went out to eat. But there were a, a few occasions where we would have guests to our home and they would insist that they would take us out to eat. And so, um, but wh when we would go out to eat, what I remember most, it was not like the joy of, hey, I get to go out to eat. What I remember most about those experiences was being disturbed by this green thing on my dinner plate that was never on my dinner plate at home and that I had certainly not ordered in this moment. Uh, I, I never spoke up, but on those occasions, and I remember them, I just wondered, what is this thing? And then like, am I supposed to eat this thing? Is it, is it dangerous? Is it like not edible? Or Maybe it's edible, but like I'm the only person that's going to eat it, so that might look really silly. I, I was just, I didn't know what to do with it. Eventually, I learned, I think. I think I learned. I, I think perhaps for some of us, when we gather on a morning like this and we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the resurrection for some of us is kind of like a garnish on the dinner plate. We're not, we're not absolutely certain about its real value. There was a poll done in recent years by the BBC. Um, people who professed faith in, in the UK and uh, over half of those who professed faith in Christ in the United Kingdom uh, did not believe that Jesus actually had died and risen again. Half, over half. And, but I don't think necessarily we should be like astounded, like what's wrong with those people over there that, that talk funny? Like I, I think that's probably a reality here in the U.S. That's probably a reality here in Syracuse that might be a reality for some of you who are sitting here today. I wonder if some of us question the reality, or, or perhaps if we don't question the reality, we question the significance of the resurrection. Because we talk about the cross and the death of Jesus all the time, don't we? We just sang about it. His blood has pardoned me, right? And, and we quote verses like Galatians 3, that, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Uh, and then Paul quotes from the Old Testament, blessed is he, or cursed is he who hangs upon a tree, right? So it's talking about the, the value of the death of Jesus, his crucifixion. 
And, and Peter says the same thing. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. Right? So we, so we kind of conceptually get the cross, but the resurrection, like, what's that all about? For some of us, the resurrection is just that green, leafy thing on the side of our Christianity. We're not sure what to do with it. But in this passage we've read this morning, and we're going to continue to look at these verses, Paul is absolutely adamant. Not only is the resurrection not a garnish on the side of, of your Christianity, there is no meal without it. There is no meal apart from it. And in our passage this morning, Paul is addressing a, a belief um, popular among the people in this, in this town called Corinth. Um, that is, once people have lived their 50, their 60, their 70 years of life, um, and, and then they breathe their last, that's it. The story ends. Fade to black. There's nothing else. They do not have existence after that. My, um, my, my family and I were in another city yesterday, and we drove by this absolutely enormous cemetery. I mean, it went for as far as the eye could see, and I was just thinking, how many loved ones, how many people were laid to rest there? And, and the people of Corinth said, well, they're done. That's it. There's, there's no more existence for them. But Paul wanted the people at Corinth, and Paul wants us to clearly understand the implications of what we're suggesting, if we think that way. Right? If there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul says in verse 13, look at it. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So he's, he's arguing from all these dead people, loved ones that have gone past. And he says, if they're not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised. So Paul's being insistent here. The, the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of God's people are inextricably linked. You cannot have one without the other. You take one away, you get rid of the other. You can't have the resurrection of the Christ and not of Christ and not have the resurrection of the dead. And you can't have the resurrection of the dead without the resurrection of Christ. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So the question is, what makes the resurrection such a non-negotiable part of the message of Christianity? In, in our verses 12 through 19, Paul wants to, uh, wants to persuade us, the Spirit of God wants to persuade us that by removing the resurrection of Christ from Christian content, from, the, from Christian belief, that it has absolutely dire and disastrous consequences for our lives and for our futures. And this is, I think, the substance of Paul's message. Hear this sentence. 
He says, an occupied tomb leaves us with an empty faith. If, if the tomb of Christ is occupied, if, it, if it's still occupied, if there's some decaying matter left, then we are left with an empty faith. Uh, let's look at this. Uh, Paul first says that apart from the historical reality of the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ, he says Christian preaching is pointless. Look at verse 14 with me. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, Paul says, is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So if there's no resurrection, then here's the deal. What I'm doing right now, opening the scriptures with you, is entirely without merit. There is no point to it. It's devoid of any value. It has zero value, zilch, none. Right? Now you might say, no, 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 Bernie, you're, you're exaggerating just a little bit, right? Um, after all, there's still much good, that, like there's good advice in the Bible, even if the resurrection isn't true. There's, there's still some good wisdom here for us to, to live by. But that, that absolutely misses the forest for the trees because Christianity, friend, is not a set of morals. It's not an ethical framework to guide you as to how to best live your life. It's not counsel on how to live well. That's not what Christianity is all about. It is the objective truth of what God has done in Christ. And apart from the resurrection of Christ, then Christian preaching is absolutely, it's, it's just nonsense. Christianity at its best con constantly, over and over, witnesses to God and his salvation. Not human effort, not right living, but without the re actual resurrection body of Jesus, without the reality of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then God is shown to be an incompetent, impotent God that can do nothing. Death has the final word. Evil and chaos, they're ultimate, not God. And that's problematic. Look at verse 15 with me. Verse 15 says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So what he's saying is Christian testimony about God, if, if, the, if the resurrection didn't happen, it's perjury. It's nonsense. It's false testimony. Nothing more than a fairy tale. And if, like, if you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd love to sell you, right? And I'll throw the Golden Gate in for free. It, it's a spiritual Ponzi scheme apart from the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Selling shares in something that doesn't exist. Paul goes further. Not only is Christian preaching pointless, 
But apart from the historical reality of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, your Christian faith is useless. Look at verse 14 again with me. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Christian faith, apart from the bodily resurrection of Jesus, is absolutely fruitless, pointless. It's without result, right? Faith, and this is an idea that that goes around in our culture, like, oh, faith is a good thing. Faith in and of itself is powerless. It's nothing. It's silliness. Faith is only as valuable as the object upon which your faith rests. That's the only value your faith, whatever that is, has. Why trust a God who's powerless in the face of death? Why pray to a God who who can't, can't even raise his own son? As Christians, we pray in Jesus' name, right? That's not just like some nice little thing we tack on to the end of a prayer. We pray in Jesus' name, that is, we pray on the basis of a victorious mediator. It's a confession that that he is the sole basis by which we can approach God, a victorious mediator. And our faith is useless if Christ is not alive, if Christ is not risen. And why would we endure suffering if Christ is not risen? We're, we're told to face cancer and COVID-19. We're, we're, toast, we're told to face financial hardship and, and even persecution with joy. Right? Why? Why are we told to, to embrace those things with joy and thanksgiving? Because that light and momentary affliction is working for us Something just weighty and wonderful for eternity if Christ has been raised. But if Christ has not been raised, then all those horrible things that we endure, that we suffer, we're out of luck, you're on your own. They're just kind of, they happened, sorry. They don't have a point. And Paul's not done yet. We haven't exhausted the riches of the significance of Jesus conquering death that we're celebrating today. Apart from the historical reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, friend, you are dead in your sin. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus remained dead in the tomb, we remain dead in our sins, dead to God. If, it, if Jesus remained dead in the tomb, it demonstrates that, that God's anger was not quenched at the cross. One, one pastor rightly points out, he says, the resurrection of Jesus is the reward of Jesus' sacrifice. 
The resurrection is the reward of Jesus' sacrifice. And if the reward isn't given, it's because the sacrifice was deficient. If Jesus wasn't raised, then his sacrifice, it just didn't, it wasn't good enough. It was deficient. And if the sacrifice is deficient, then you, friend, are still in your sins. Jesus' liberation from the tomb is proof of our liberation from sin and guilt and shame. But if Jesus did not rise, we we shouldn't walk around wearing rose-colored glasses. You and I are still enemies of God Almighty. You and I are still objects of wrath of the Creator King. We await judgment. See, apart from the historical reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, our greatest problem still remains. We are in sin. Paul mentions another implication of the resurrection that we shouldn't miss. Apart from the historical reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, we are dead in our graves. That is to say, our our final state is is what we talked about earlier. It's just decay and destruction. We fade to black. Look at verse 18 with me. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, early Christians, they, they looked at death uh, perhaps differently than we do, especially as you listen to the response of people during this, uh, this COVID-19 pandemic. Early Christians saw death as nothing more than sleep because of their certain hope that they would wake again. In other words, they thought of death as a nap. It it wasn't final. You, You woke up. You rose again. Yet, if Christ is not raised, then those who are dead are not napping, they're irretrievably lost. They're gone from us. Verse 19, Paul sums it all up. He says that apart from the bodily resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is a pointless and pathetic delusion. Look at it with me. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. This is at odds with how some people present the Christian message. The the gospel that we, the so-called gospel we hear from some people that says we're to just just embrace life and, and live our best life now. Just have it all now. There's absolutely no reason to continue to identify with Christianity, with Christ, if Christ was not raised bodily. There is no point in doing that. 
We should, we should all cut our losses right now. We should shut off these lights, lock the doors, put a for sale sign out on the front lawn, sell this place. Perhaps we could all split the proceeds and we could go live life how, whatever, whatever way makes you happy if Christ has not been raised because this thing we're, we're following is just a pathetic delusion. This way of life is just pointless. Yet, look at verse 20 with me, friends. But in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who are napping. We gather this Sunday morning and, and every other Sunday morning, every other Lord's Day, to celebrate our victorious and risen King, to declare the praises of the one who conquered death and sin and Satan. We, we assemble to celebrate the fact that our faith is not in vain. No, 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 it's not in vain. We, we, we gather together to celebrate the fact that our sufferings aren't pointless. We, we get together and we celebrate the fact that our sins have been forgiven. We, we get together as the people of God and we celebrate that our future is secure because in fact, Christ is risen. Verse five, Paul lets us know about a, a, a host of times that Jesus was seen after his resurrection. In verse five, Peter tells us about, about Cephas, about Peter, and the rest of the 12 who gathered together with Jesus. Verse 6, he lets us know about a crowd of 500 people that Jesus gathered around him to, to teach them one last time to talk with them. And then in verse 7, he says he interacted with James and the rest of the apostles. All this after his resurrection. Christ died, friend. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. He died but Christ is risen. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. And the empty tomb is a foundation for a full, full faith. An unoccupied tomb is a foundation for a full faith. Remember we said an occupied tomb, that leaves us with an empty faith. But the empty tomb is God's, is God's certification. It's his stamp of approval that Jesus promises. Jesus promises that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those weren't empty promises. The empty tomb says those weren't empty promises. 
Some of us may be thinking, I, I thought the cross did all that. I thought Christ's death as he hung on the, on the tree as a curse for those under the curse of the law, I thought that accomplished forgiveness of sin, secured new life. It did, friend. It did, but, it, but if the story merely ended in death, we would have no assurance. The resurrection is God's authentication of Jesus' claims. The resurrection is the verification that Jesus' work had been effective. The resurrection was the vindication of Jesus' life, of his work, of his death. It was God the Father saying, this is accepted. An occupied tomb leaves us with an empty faith. But the empty tomb is God's assurance that Jesus' words were not empty promises. There's something we can build our life on. All those, every one of you who trusts in Christ, who believe that that his life and his death fulfilled the law's demands, who believe that God raised him from the dead, can live and look to the future with certainty and with hope and with joy. That's what Paul tells us way back in verse 2 of this chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, these are the words by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. That's the message of the resurrection. We can rejoice in certain hope that what Christ came to accomplish has been secured by Christ. Why? Because Christ was raised. That's the proof. And because Christ was raised, we too will be saved. We too will be raised to new life in the last day. If you trust in Christ, your faith is not in vain. If you place your hope in the risen Savior, your sufferings are not meaningless. If you rest your faith on the one who conquered sin, Satan, and death, your sins have been forgiven. You've been washed clean. You're guiltless. If you rely on the king who reigns victoriously now, your future is secure. Perhaps some of you, one or two of you, have have yet to abandon all other hopes. You're you're putting your trust in other things. You, You haven't yet put your hope squarely, entirely on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for your life and for your eternity. I plead with you to do that this morning. Trust him for the forgiveness of your sin and the hope of eternal life. Submit to him as the victorious and risen king. And this this story bears repeating. We spend our days talking about, in light of this, talking about nonsense. We we talk about the latest ball game, the latest show, the the latest viral video, the latest political dust-up. But none of those things carry the weight, the significance, the value, the joy, the ramifications of a king who died only 
to conquer death. Rising again that all who trust in him may too rise to newness of life. Let this Lord's Day be a reminder to carry this message with you as you go from this place. Go from this place in joy. An occupied tomb leaves us with an empty faith. But the empty tomb, the fact that in fact, in fact Christ has been risen, shows us that Jesus' words were not empty promises. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for sending your son to redeem us from the curse of the law. We are guilty sinners, deserving of your wrath. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to bear our guilt, our sin, our shame in his body on that tree. And I pray that you would fill each one of us this morning with joy, that you destroyed the the bands of death. You broke the bands of death. You conquered the powers of darkness. We praise you that you are our victorious and risen king. And may we, every one of us, rest assured in the power of your resurrection. May that be our hope. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. Our life is in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.